You're listening to the Elim Church Northampton podcast. This message was recorded live as part of our regular Sunday service. We know that this is a great investment into your life. So tune in and give it a listen. For more information, visit elimnorthampton.com. And don't share your germs. And so we've been travelling through the Gospel of Mark. Mark is an amazing book. It's a short gospel, only 16 chapters. It will only take you a few hours if you were to sit down and read right through it. It was written by a young man called John Mark. And John Mark, although he wasn't a disciple, he was actually on site for most of the stuff that he wrote about. In other words, he was a first-hand witness. He got to um, really experience the sights and the sounds and the smells of, of the New Testament that he talks about. When he talks about the miracles, when he talks about all the stuff that goes on, he was there. And I just want to encourage us all today that as we take the Word of God and as we start to read it and apply it to our lives, one of the best ways to do that is to put our feet into the shoes of those writing it or to put our feet into the shoes of those who we're reading about so we can put ourselves in those characters and then we get to sort of have an insight to what is really going on. So the word of God, although it is for today, it was also written in those days and we can learn and glean even more stuff out of it. And the gospel of Mark is a fast-paced gospel. It's a sense of urgency and as, as a team, we started to pray about what campaign we need to go through for January and February. There seems to be an urgency through this world. As I said, we've just returned from the Emirates and uh, we were outside of Dubai. If you're staying in Dubai, it's an international place. But when you st- stay further out of it, you realise more than ever that you are in a non-Christian country that everything is geared to a different religion. And it's probably in some parts anti-Christian. And so as we were listening to the news and listening to the the television over there, um, we we got a different vibe and a different feel. And for me, it just gave me that urgency that there is a big world out there that does not know Jesus Christ. But more than that, they are anti-Christian. They are anti-gospel. And so we have got a mandate on our lives. There's an urgency in my spirit that we are to proclaim the gospel more than ever than we did before. So if you've got your Bibles with you, why don't we turn to the book of Mark? We're starting at chapter 2. Whether you've got your paper ones or your iPads, I don't mind. It might even be on the screen behind me. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. So we start at chapter 2, verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, now Capernaum was Jesus' sort of home territory, his hometown. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. You see, they'd heard about the miracles he was doing. They'd heard about his ministry. And so there was an excitement. So soon as the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room. It was a bit like my house yesterday when all my family came to stay. There was no room to sit. But here, there was no room at this meeting, no room at church, even outside the door. Can you imagine? We're not far off it right now today, but can you imagine absolutely having no room in this house? Yeah, I can. I can. Because God is moving is on the increase. So there was um, like a church meeting going on and there was no room, not even outside the door. And while he was preaching, there was an interruption. So please don't do that today. But while he was preaching the word of God, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. So I can just imagine Jesus is there. He's doing a serious thing. He's preaching the word of God and this is important. There must be no distractions. This is life or death. And he's trying to preach the word of God. He's trying to give a message of God. And every now and then there's a bit of of 
mud fall on his head. And then as he looks up and there's noise and there's scraping going on. And the, the men above are digging a hole in the roof. Someone at the interval said, you know, they questioned, well, who paid for that to be repaired? I don't know. But they were digging a hole in the roof. And I suppose it would have brought the, the meeting to a stop, or it, it certainly interrupted what Jesus was doing, a bit like I keep interrupting when we're trying to read this passage. So while he was preaching God's word, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. Mm, I just wonder how many times a crowd stops us coming to Jesus, but that's for another day. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head, and then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. I love their tenacity. I love their determination that even though they can't get in the building, even though there's no room, so to speak, at the inn, even though there's no seats left in the house, they are going to church. And they climb up on the roof, dig a hole, and they make sure that they lower their mate on the mat right under Jesus' nose, that he can't ignore him. He can't get away from him. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy because only God can forgive sins. And they learned the law. They knew the word. And so they knew that only God could forgive sins. And here was this guy, this preacher, this healer, claiming to be able to forgive sins, to have the authority to forgive sins. That makes me realize they wouldn't have minded if he simply healed the man on the mat. That was okay. But Jesus, you're going one step too far by claiming to be God. Because only God can forgive sins. Hmm. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. Because they hadn't said this out loud. Oh dear, can God read my mind? Yes, he can. Can he read what's in my heart? Yes, he can. Because he's God. And so Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? He said this out loud to them. Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or should I say, stand up, pick up your mat and walk? Hmm, good question. So I will prove to you that the son of man has the authority authority on earth to forgive sins. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to prove to you that I am God. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. The man jumped up. He grabbed his mat and he walked out through the stunned onlookers and they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. That that is amazing. Imagine if we come to church today, imagine if God does that in our midst. That four friends drag in, carry in someone that is paralyzed, someone that is so sick that needs healing, that needs a miracle. And they get healed before our eyes. We would be jumping and praising and hollering and giving glory to God. Hmm, shouldn't we be seeing that right now in our midst? But as I read this, there was another little thing I thought about. Imagine if we went to all the trouble of bringing someone to church and we've been praying for them and we even gave them a lift and we helped them get here and we invited them and, and then they came to the front, they got healed and then what did they do? They simply turned around and walked out. That's what this guy did. As soon as he got healed, he was off his mat and he was gone out the door. And they were all amazed. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. So in this story that we find in the Gospel of Mark, there are three things that I want to bring out. Three things that I want to look at today to see how they apply to our lives. These things are friends, faith, and forgiveness. 
So, while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. A paralyzed man or paralyzed person is someone that is immobile, someone that can't move without your help or someone else's help. To bring someone like that to church is going to be awkward. It's going to be costly. It's going to be inconvenient. And the fact that they carried him on the mat meant it's going to be like obvious and they can't just slip in or out. So there was something about these four friends that would go the extra mile. You see, have we got friends like that? Friends that maybe we need to be able to carry to Jesus. Friends that maybe we need to go out of our way to invite them to church, out of our way to bring them to church, out of our way to help them get to church. Maybe we've got friends in the workplace that we need to go out of our way and check that they're okay and maybe share the gospel with them. Maybe just be helpful and nice to them and show them Jesus. This man on the mat was actually burdensome in a way that is too much trouble. Have you ever had a day called a duvet day? Hmm. The guy on the mat was paralyzed. We take it that he was physically paralyzed. He was unable to walk or move by himself. But I think there are times in our lives where we have a different paralysis, where we probably our heart is broken, or maybe we're just depressed or down, and we're so, in a sense, paralyzed that we just can't face the day, we can't face the world, and we just want to lie down and put the cover over our head. Is it just me? And it's okay if you have those days, one or two days, maybe once or twice a year, when things get tough, and you just don't want to face anyone, and everything's just too much. But when it happens day after day, week after week, or month after month, then you need some friends in your life to carry you to Jesus. That was this guy. But he was paralyzed to a place where he couldn't do anything for himself. We do get like that. It's okay to admit it, that when we have a duvet day, we can't get out of it ourselves, and we need friends around us, friends in life that will say, come on, get up, get out, I'm taking you to the coffee shop, I'm taking you out for the day, I'm going to cheer you up, I'm going to cheer you on, I'm going to be with you through this season. And so friends are important. I don't know what your paralysis is. Maybe it's from shame. Maybe it's from guilt. Maybe you've messed up in life. Maybe other people have affected you and hurt you. Maybe you're carrying a brokenness. Maybe it's a broken heart. Maybe it's a broken dream. But there's something that's going on, something that's affected you, and it has cut your life short in a way that has paralyzed you, and you can't go any further forward. Like you're stuck in mud. You can't get over that thing. Whatever that thing is, paralyzed. I want to ask you today, who in your life cares about that? Who in your life, when you get those duvet days, when you get those down days, when you get those seasons where you can't help yourself, who in your life is going to come along and lift you up and, and just encourage you and strengthen you and push you on further? Friends, you need friends. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. These were four friends. And as I'm saying this, you might be thinking, I haven't got any friends. Well, maybe this year, maybe this message is for you. That this year could be a year to change that. 
where we, we ask God for everything else, but why don't we ask him for the right friends? These four friends were amazing friends. They wouldn't pass by or ignore the situation of their mate on the mat, but they said, mate, you're getting up, you're coming with us, and we are going to carry you to Jesus. That sounds like a good friend to me. You see, we need friends that care about us, that interfere and don't just ignore when we're struggling. We need friends that have a compassion and a love towards us, friends that champion us, friends that encourage us, and friends that challenge us, and friends that chase us when we're off on the wrong way, when we're going to the wrong places, when we're doing the wrong things. We need good friends in our lives that have the boldness and the tenacity to get in our faces and put us back on track and to tell us what it is. We need godly, faith-filled friends. I don't know about you, but um, today we seem to have hundreds of friends on social media. Were you to count the thousands you've got on Facebook or X or it used to be Twitter or TikTok or whatever it is that you follow and you've got all these friends, but are they friends? Do they care? Can you trust them? Can you just give them your life? If you were on a paralyzed day, would they pick you up? Would they carry you? Would they go out of their way? It would be costly for them. You see, we go through different stages in life. One of the easiest stages in my life was when my kids were young and going to school. It was so easy to make friends at the school gates because we'd be there twice a day. And we'd get to know each other and get to know our names and our kids and share the parties and stuff like that. But then life brings different stages. And sometimes you are on your own and maybe you're so busy at work or you're just isolated. Or what if you move? When you move, you lose some friends. Sometimes we have friends that stick with us for years and years and they might be on other continents but we can pick up the phone or we can meet years later and it's like we were always together but there are friends we need to be around us and close by friends that maybe share our interests friends that maybe share our culture friends that we just simply get on with have you ever been around people and you're you're struggling to get on with them well that's not going to go very far in your friendship There needs to be something that connects you. And there are seasons. Maybe if you've changed workplaces or you've gone from school to college to university, other things, and you have different friendship friendship sets, and it changes through our stages of life. But in every stage, we need to be seeking out a small group of friends not the masses that we find on social media. A crowd can stop you doing the things of God. A crowd can stop you. Like in this story, they couldn't get to Jesus because of the crowd. Sometimes when you're with a crowd, you care too much about what they think of you, what they think of what you're doing or not doing, or what you're wearing or not wearing. A crowd can have too much influence on your life. But you need to seek out Just a few people that you can trust and build a friendship with. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it doesn't matter. You can find like-minded people, but it takes time to build friendships. It takes the time and the trust to kick in. You know, when friends let you down, and they will, that isn't the time to finish the friendship. That is the test of whether you're going to forgive each other and make your friendship go on a higher level. When you've been through some bad stuff with friends and you come through at the other end, they become a stronger friend because you didn't leave them or bail out. We need friends that we can trust our lives with, friends that we can stay the journey with, friends that we are tested with but to do that oh my goodness it takes effort it takes energy it's hard work 
so busy. I've got kids and grandkids and husbands and I work and I've got such a busy, full diary. I've got no time for friends. Maybe that's why you haven't got any friends. Maybe you're trying to be friends with too many friends. Look at Jesus, great example. He went up a mountain and he prayed. He brought God into the situation and he asked God to show him 12 people to do his journey on earth. And he chose his disciples. But amongst the 12 that he chose and prayed for, he chose a core of four to get even closer to. And even within that core of four, he chose a special one, a favorite. It's okay to have a best friend. And it's okay to have a small, safe circle of strong, trusted friends. In fact, humanity is not built to have the same level of friendship that I'm talking about with the masses. So I just want to release some of you right now when you try and compare and look at other people. Oh, they're so popular. They've got hundreds of friends. It's impossible to sustain a deep, secure friendship with so many people. We can have colleagues, we can have friends, but our core, close friends can only be a few people. I don't think people tell us that enough. Because we've got to invest in each other. We've got to cultivate a friendship that grows strong, that we can be secure in. And it develops over time, over the years. The crowd is not your friend. The crowd can turn on you. You know, there was an incident in Genesis. When we look at Noah's sons, it, it, the story shows us a bit about friendship. Because Noah's three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, they were all on the same team. They were all in the same family. And yet, there was an incident in Noah's life where he drunk a little bit too much. He got a bit foolish. He ended up naked and fell asleep. And so, Ham walks in on his father. And if he's got an iPhone, he would have taken a picture. And it would have been all over social media. Look at the state of my dad. Ha, ha, ha. Lol. And whatever emojis you want to put on that. He might not have meant it in a bad way. He might have thought it was a joke. But the other two sons, they put a cloak on their shoulders and they walked in backwards. They couldn't see their naked father. They put the cover over him and they walked away and they kept quiet. There are friends in our lives that we need that will cover us when we're stupid. Friends that won't let us get away with sin, but they won't put it on social media either. They won't go and blabber, oh, yeah, we need to pray for them because just telling you this because they need prayer. We need friends that we can trust with our mistakes, with our mess-ups, when we're stupid like Noah was. Noah was generally a good man, but he did a stupid mistake because he's a human being. We are human beings that make stupid mistakes. And we need friends that will cover us. And I bet his sons gave him a, a set to the next day and told him to keep off all the wine. But they covered him and didn't expose him. If you're writing notes or if you've got a, a phone on you, just write a little note to yourself and maybe pull it out tonight and pray. Who is your friend? Who in your world can you trust your secrets with? If you haven't got anyone in your world that you can confess your sins freely to and you know that you can trust them with that, mm, you might be in trouble. The Bible tells us Confess. And you have got to be careful who you confess to. 
The Bible also tells us, do not cast your pearls before swine. God doesn't want to make us look bad or expose us where everyone points fingers, but he doesn't want us to hide our sin. We need friends that we trust and that we can be honest with, friends that can challenge us, chase us, and keep us on the right track. Who's in your friendship circle? 2024, who is in your friendship core group? Who will keep you to account? You've got to find that friend. And maybe you have to be that friend first. You have to be that friend that's going to pay the cost, that's going to go the extra mile to be a good and trusted and safe friend, to be there when they need you to be there, not to be absent or busy. The investment is worth it. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin like Facebook and social media, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Isn't that just like Jesus? Aren't we supposed to be like Jesus? Isn't that his character, that he is a friend that sticks through thick and thin with us? In every failure, he never fails. He's always steadfast and true and loving and consistent. He is a safe friend but we need some earthly ones too to help us on that journey so here are these four friends and they've got this guy on a mat who can't move for himself you know I don't even think this guy wants to go to church I don't know the bible doesn't tell us he just says he's he's paralyzed and he's on a mat and then his four friends come along and like said mate you're going to church and we are taking you and so these these friends are going to take him And it's not about his faith. It's about their faith. Think about that. He ends up getting a healing, not from any faith that he's imparted or invested, but from the faith of his four friends. I wonder if that's how we're to be for our friends, that when they have no faith, that we are to be that faith for them. I wonder... Can we be that unselfish where we go out of our way, use up our resources, use up our time, put it in our diary to be faithful and have faith for someone who can't have faith for themselves? Would we bother? I don't know. Sometimes we we need to draw on the faith of other people. There are times in our lives where we are weak and that's when we need faithful friends that are strong. There are times in our life where we lose hope and that's when we need friends that inspire us to hope again. There are times in our life where we we go the wrong way and that's when we need friends who bring us back to the right way. There are times when we lose track and lose sight of the promises of God and we need friends to to reignite that passion and to remind us what God has said over our lives. We need friends that remind us of the purpose and the glory and the power that we are called to as children of God. This stuff that we can't do in our own strength. We actually do need other people in our lives to speak to us, to affect us, to take us where we have got no intention of going. But it's good for us. I could just think straight away of the gym. Let's move on. I have a friend who lives next door to me who goes to a gym and she keeps saying, I'll take you. My car is here. I live next door to you. You need to go to the gym and to top it, even Donna's in the same gym. (laughs) And I'm still dragging my feet. I'm still reluctant. But let's get back to the message. (laughs) You see, there's a cost involved. If you're going to be a friend like this, you've got to be a friend that perseveres. 
that pays for the coffee, that pays for the price, that, that makes room for the inconvenience, that oh, makes time to do this. Because it is hard sometimes. And it is a sacrifice sometimes to help someone. And like, you know they do, but what's it got to do with you? And you're not that much of a friend. But then what if it's you that's lying on the mat? Where's your friends to pick you up? These friends are so confident. They're so expectant. They're so full of faith. They so believe that Jesus Christ is going to heal them. They've been watching and seeing all the miracles that Jesus has done. And they've been following the crowds. And they kept nudging themselves. Yeah, we need to bring him here. We need to get him on a mat. We need to bring him to the next meeting. And so they have all this bubbling faith going on. And they are exuberant. And they are so, so believing that all they need to do is get him to Jesus. They know they can't do it. They know it's not their power. They know it's not what they're going to say. They know that there's a supernatural element and he needs to be in the presence and the power and the glory of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is inspiring them to take this guy to church. Oh, am I talking to someone? Maybe it's your neighbor and you don't really want to go there. Maybe it's that work colleague that is annoying you so much, you don't want them in your church space. I may have told you this story before, but I used to work in travel, and I worked in one of those hypermarkets where there was like 40 of us women. I don't know about you, but women in the world, when you work with women, they are so not nice. (laughs) As you walk through the door, they're sort of, looking at you from top to toe, checking your nails are done, checking your makeup's right. Anyway, whether you've eaten too many cakes. Women are the worst at women in the world, of course, not in church. And where was I going with this? Anyway, and so my boss, she just, there was something I could tell straight away. The presence of God was on her, but she didn't like it, so she didn't like me. She didn't like church. She didn't like Christians. She didn't like anything about that. And so I got all the, like, the mean jobs and stuff like that, and I used to carry the can for the things that went wrong. And then one day, as usual, she calls me into her office. I thought, I'm going to get it again. I'm going to carry it for someone else again. And as she calls me in, and I sit down, and then she says, I can't tell anyone else this. I've just lost a baby, and you are my friend. I'm thinking, (laughs) because every morning in the travel agents, all the women would sit around one of the desks and we, they, would tear each other to bits, whoever wasn't there. And so I started to distance myself and I would sit by my desk and I would like be the only one. And they would all sit together, probably gossiping and talking about me. And she was the worst. And yet, all those months... She was watching me keep out of the gossip, keeping out of the slander, keeping out of the lies, keeping out of the pulling down. And she considered me her friend because she could trust me with her secret. She could trust me with her pain. I prayed for her that day. And then we moved away. We came to Northampton and I got a call. And then I got a little letter in the post with a picture of her newborn baby. And I got a call from her a few weeks ago, actually. Her newborn baby is now like going off to university. But you see, she considered me a friend simply because I was trying to walk in the ways of Jesus in a world that wasn't godly. I was isolated away from what I thought the friendship group was, but I was living, trying to live my best way, for God. And because of that, she called me a friend. Because of that, she received a miracle that changed her life. She received the desire of her heart. Oh, and she does go to church. She went to church after that, so it's all good. Friendship is costly. It's inconvenient. But it's what God wants us to do. 
We're not on this earth to do life alone. We're on this earth to have our eyes open, our ears open, and our heart ready for the Holy Spirit to prompt us and guide us and tell us who to go to, what to say. There are people that are rubbing shoulders all day long in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, everywhere we go. We are crossing paths with people that need Jesus. And if we would just open our eyes and our heart and be aware of the Holy Spirit, we could be used by God to break into people's lives. So these were four friends. They were so full of faith. They were so expectant. They were so confident that all they need to do is bring their friends into the presence and the power of Jesus Christ. And then they faced an obstacle. They faced a crowd. And yet, if you're on your own, you could be like the woman who pressed through the crowd. Remember her? The crowd wouldn't stop her, so she pressed through till she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. You can't do that if you're carrying someone on a stretcher. You can't press through. You can't get everyone out of the way because you've got a burden with you. Oh, did we have to bring him? We could be in there now, enjoying it. But it costs them. And what happens? I believe they ask God for an answer. Where there was no way, we need to ask God for a way. We need to be like Jochebed, Moses' mother, when there was no way to save her child from from Pharaoh being slaughtered and thrown into the Nile. What did she do? She prayed to God and God gave her an idea of building a basket and putting Moses in the basket and he lived. So I believe that these four friends went to God. They asked God and they became resourceful because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Dig a hole in the roof. Interrupt Jesus while he's preaching. Please don't do that to me right now. But they did it. It was adventurous. It was bold. It was cheeky. They couldn't be shy or hide back. They had to be different and stand out. But they were determined. They were determined to get their mate to Jesus. Because they were believing for a miracle. You see, we cannot do life alone. We are a community. And what's more, in this church, Elam Church, Northampton, we are a community of believers. And we need each other. I can't do it on my own. None of the team can do it on our own. We need you. And some of you are sat in your seats being observers when you need to be participants in what we are doing. Some of us need to rise up and face the challenge and take your place in this church of what it's doing, of what God is doing. As we start to embrace and as we start to go forward with a new building, we need to do this together. Is this your spiritual home? Is this your community of believers? Because if it is, God calls us to be a family of believers. That means we've got to watch out for each other. That means we've got to help out. We've got to get our sleeves rolled up and we've got to get involved. Too quiet. Because when we come together, we become strong. We become steadfast. We are not meant to do this journey alone. And that is why God Almighty created a thing called the church. We are the called out ones. We represent Jesus Christ on this earth as a community, together. Yes, with our failures, but we are serving a God who covers our failures and picks us up again. We need each other because... Proverbs tells us, iron sharpens iron. One person sharpens another person. That tells me that if I was to think I was so good at something, that someone here can help me be even better. That tells me that God has put us together with different talents and different strengths and different abilities because one person Or one team cannot do everything. So I wonder what you're sitting on. I wonder what God has called you to do in this community of believers. These were friends who carried someone to Jesus. I wonder, are there times in your life where you need friends 
to carry you to Jesus? Are there times in your life where you become paralyzed and can't get further forward? And you need to look around your life and see who is there that is going to help you? Who is your community? Who is your strength in time of need? When we come together, we are impactful. We intercede. And I've said that we are strong. But when we come together, we truly represent the church that God intends. Matthew 18 says, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. So what God is saying is that when we gather together, when we are true friends with each other, when we start to support one another, the presence and the power and the glory of Almighty God is in our midst. He promises that. And we see at a different level. We operate at a different level. We start to experience miracles. Imagine those four friends. Yes, they had the faith, but... Did they really understand the power and the glory of God? Well, when they get there, and when they dug this hole, and then they lowered the mat down, they're a bit surprised. Because they are expecting, quite rightly, Jesus to heal the man on the mat. But Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. We didn't ask for that. We just want him healed. I'm sure they wondered what Jesus was playing at. But as we read the text, we can realize that the religious people were shocked and horrified. You see, Jesus knew what they were thinking. And as I said before, Jesus knows what we're thinking. He knows what's in our heart. Why do you question in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or should I just say, stand up, pick up your mat and walk? They, they took the day off work. They, they'd like maneuvered all their family and their kids around. They'd missed doing other things to take this guy on the mat to Jesus for a healing, for a miracle, so that he could walk again. And they even dug the hole in the roof, which they'll probably have to pay for. They probably ostracized themselves from the community for ruining the property. And then Jesus turns around And doesn't even address the situation of him being paralyzed, but simply says, I forgive your sins. What's what's that about? Because Jesus is trying to show us that it's not necessarily a physical healing or even an emotional healing that we truly need. But the very core of our being is a spiritual reconciliation to him. Our greatest need is to be reconnected and reconciled to God in heaven, our father, our creator. What good is it to be healed and not know God? Because when you think about it, what good is it to be healed of any disease and end up in hell? Oh, is that too serious for church? A healing... It's temporal. It's temporary. I'm not dismissing how important it is because God does want us to be full and whole and doesn't want us to be sick, doesn't want us to limp through life. I know myself that I have been healed amazingly with miracles. I had ME. I was even in a wheelchair. And for four years, I struggled. And eventually, God healed me instantly. I know what it feels like to be sick. I know what it feels like to be healed. I know the power and the grace, miraculous working power of God. I know it works. I believe it. But I also see friends. I see relatives that don't get healed. Because we live, the kingdom of God is being ushered in. And it's not yet, but it's on the way. Our true healing comes in glory. Our greatest, greatest need is forgiveness. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came and died on a cross to take away the sins of the world so that we could be reconciled, so we could be brought back into a relationship with God so that we will spend eternity with God. These bodies are temporal, temporary. If we could understand what what it's like to be eternal, 
Our, our time on earth is like that. Minuscule, tiny. Why would I want to concentrate on being healed for a mini moment and not know God? But the amazing thing in this story is the guy on the mat gets it all. He is forgiven of his sins. Yeah. And at the same time, he's miraculously healed. Isn't that just like Jesus? Jesus is showing, yes, he is the Lord of all. But when we do go through stuff, I had a friend, I have a friend called Marilyn. And she was diagnosed with um, grade four uh, cancer. And she was such a woman of faith. And she was so strong. And when she was going through her chemo, she made a decision that she was going to put her makeup on. She was going to take care of her clothes. And she would go into the hospital and she would sit amongst the other patients going through the same treatment with a smile on her face. And they would ask her, why? What have you got to be happy about? What have we got to be happy about? And she would be full of faith and full of prayer and full of the Holy Spirit. And she lost count with the amount of people that she led to the Lord in that cancer treatment season. She decided to take something that the devil meant for harm and turn it around for the good and the glory of God. She didn't concentrate on her healing so much. She just thought, well, I'm in this situation. Lord, please heal me. But while I'm on that way, if you don't, it doesn't matter. I am going to kick the devil every step of this way. And I'm going to turn this pain into a glory. And I'm going to turn this cancer into something that brings glory to you. And I am going to make sure if I'm going now, Lord, if my time is premature, if I'm going, I'm going to make sure as many people come to heaven with me. God works through miracles and signs and wonders. But the biggest need we have is to be saved, is to know God, is to be reconciled. Because Jesus Christ is the greatest friend. How great a friend that he lays down his life. He is the best friend. He is the starting place. If you want friends on earth, then draw near to the friend that you need most. Jesus will help you live this life on earth, but there is better to come. You see, another lady that I met, she was in a charity shop. And at the time, I used to get all my kids' stuff from there because we didn't have so much money then. And I got to know her. And we became friends. She wasn't interested in Jesus or coming to church or anything like that until the day she got her diagnosis and she was given six weeks to live. And then I started to pray with her, go to the hospital and read scripture over her until a point two weeks in and she said, Linda, it's okay, you can go now. And I thought, she's sick of, sick of me being here. She doesn't want to hear any more of the word of God. I said, why, Mary? She said, because he's here. I said, who's here? Jesus, he's come to take me. You can go now. I'm okay now. I know where I'm going. And she passed away that night. And at her funeral, all her family who were not saved, not Christians, they had instructions of how the funeral should go. And she wanted the gospel because she, in those few weeks, had found such a deep relationship with Jesus as her personal saviour. And that she wanted as many of her family to hear that gospel so that she would see them again in glory. There is no pain that has the last word. There is no sickness on this earth that the devil can conjure up that can have the last word. There is no Parkinson's disease that can have the last word. There is no cancer from hell that can have the last word. There is no depression that can have the last word. There is even no paralysis that can have the last word. There is no sickness that has ever entered across this earth that will get the last word. There isn't even death itself that is entitled to the last word. For if you are born again, if you are a Christian, if you are a child of God, the last word remains Jesus Christ. 
I wonder if the band would come back right now. And if you are in the house of God today or you are watching online and you are sick in body or sick in your spirit or sick in your emotion, I want you to stand up right now in faith as we pray because you have a hope, you have a future, you have a destiny that is glorious, but we also have a God that heals. So all around you, if there are people stood by, I want you to stretch out your hands And I wonder if we could worship. And as we worship, I want you to pray on those people near you. Stand up if you are sick. This is not a time to be embarrassed or shy. This is not a time to be hidden when you need a miracle. God is in the house. The Holy Spirit is working. You are in the right place at the right time. For some, your miracle will be instant. For some, your miracle will take a journey. But we are standing with you because we are a community of believers together. We are your friends. And together, with the friendship of Christ, we stand with you right now. Father God, every person that is stood. Lord, we pray right now. Stretch out your hands and pray in tongues. You can leave your seats if you want. Please go pray with someone. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Father God, we pray right now for your healing presence. That, Lord, we've just read a story about a man who was paralyzed that you healed. And we pray right now for healing to move through these bodies. Lord, whether that healing is spiritual or whether it's physical or whether it is emotional, you are the creator God. You know when something doesn't work. You know when something needs to be put right. So Lord, we pray, we pray, we pray as your children. We pray in the faith that Lord, you will do a miracle, that you will bring healing, that Lord, we will hear stories of Lord, you breaking through that, Lord, where there is sickness, that sickness will be gone in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come right now. Come right now. Come right now. And as you pray, continue to pray, and I'm going to read a scripture. And I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love because there is no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord, we speak right now healing. We speak healing. We speak healing. We speak restoration. Restoration. Lord, where there is pain, let it go right now. Lord, where there is bones and joints that need putting back together, put them together right now. Lord, we ask and we pull down heaven in this place. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, move right now. Right now. Right now. Right now.